Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clipped that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. Good morning. Let's go. It's Friday, August 12th. What a, what a great show. What a great show we have today because joining me on this fantastic ride today with a promise that we will talk not just as little bears as possible, but zero bears today is the great, the one and only Andy Barons. I don't know if I can actually make that promise. I'm going to have I'm going to have one little hopeful bears note, I think, along the way. Oh, no. um, but I could avoid the bears entirely if you if you like. But I'm actually going to try to say something uh, mildly optimistic. Well, I'm going to not bring it up. I, I was, uh, I mean, well, yeah, there's only one guy in this. When we tell you what the it's podcast fair. is about, it's They are my burden. You you shouldn't yeah. have to. That is a that is a great point. If somebody's going to do it, it's going to be you. Um, but yeah, it's a great show today. Later on, we're going to be previewing <laughs> the 2022 Washington Commanders. Oh, boy. Through the lens of fantasy football. And also, and I think this is an important exercise to do every single year, we're going to talk about some of the guys that we might be wrong about even if we do feel you know some type of way about him but first there's a few pieces of news for us to get through first of all um I think this was kind of expected or at least if you had been following the Patriots this was sort of the way this was trending um James White announced his retirement today uh James White Andy you know PPR hero uh like I think he was one of these players that you know, for there was a time there where if you had really screwed the pooch at the running back position in your draft and it was a full point PPR format, you'd be like, I yeah, 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 I just take James White in like the ninth yeah. round and, and I'll get some cheap points every single um every single week. But I think almost kind of I hope he doesn't get forgotten in like the log of history because he was a great player in this very specific role and, and had one of the best Super Bowls that I think is going to fall away from like the, the course of history because it just is going to get masked up by Tom Brady. But, you know, the 28 to three Super Bowl, he was awesome in that game. But, you know, shout out to James White, who I think um, every fantasy player has, has some great memory of James White, I'd imagine. I, I do feel like it's a Super Bowl that we're just going to be talking about forever, right? Because of the nature of the comeback. And I, I think it will, at the very least, be a footnote that he probably should have been the MVP. He certainly had an argument yep. to be the MVP, right? Like 14 catches, three touchdowns, including the game-ending touchdown, which was just like like all fight and tenacity, too. Um, yeah. You, you sort of mentioned it. Like, he's 
he's the guy that you would like you probably weren't starting him as an rb2 um even in his best years probably well actually that's not true probably in probably in 2018 was it 2018 where he had like 1100 total yards a bunch of touchdowns yeah. he was great other than that he he's like the guy who got you through bye weeks you know for for um over half a decade um he was great absolutely great in his role that's probably the best way to describe i mean he's obviously he's not a hall of famer but this is what like the ring of honor was made for right this is what like jersey retirements are made for i mean i you you definitely can't tell the story of the dynasty patriots without without james white a, a wonderful player in as you say a highly specific role and he mastered it absolutely mastered it like really wonderful player in that role and again the, the super bowl he had was as was just as good as it gets among people who somehow didn't win the mvp of that game 100 percent, and you know spinning it forward like i said probably expected james white to not be a big factor this year even if he was going to start the year on the pup or miss the entire season i think retirement was always on the table look there's a reason that we kind of chase ghosts at this patriots in this Patriots backfield all the time because there's a lot of juice in this pass catching role specifically with James White, you know, Kevin Falk back in the day. Um, there have been, again, just guy after guy after guy that we've tried to get right here. We're still doing it this year. I think a lot of the reason that Ramondre Stevenson has been steamed up the draft board is because folks expected him to take on some of this pass catching role. But I would love to get your thoughts on what you think happens in this Patriots backfield, even if we never really thought James White was going to be a big factor. This comes in from Evan Lazar, who, by the way, shout out to Evan, used to work in the NFL Network newsroom with me as a fantasy researcher. Now he's a staff writer for Patriots.com. So shout out to Evan. He says the top in-house candidate to take over the receiving back role for the Patriots this season. In order, Andy, I say in order. Number one, Ty Montgomery. Number two, Ramondre. Number three, Pierre Strong. He also thinks that we could see a package with Jonu Smith in the backfield serving as the de facto pass-catching back. Boy, oh boy, Andy, Ty Montgomery, um, what year is this? <laughs> yeah, and I, like... I I'm I'm going to defer to him. He's probably right about this. Ty Montgomery seems like exactly the sort of boring veteran where maybe you were scratching your head thinking, hmm, I wonder if Ty Montgomery's still in the league. Um, this is like exactly the sort of player that that Bill Belichick can turn into a thing. So this yeah. this may happen. Um, obviously, for fantasy purposes, it would be really tidy if we could just whittle this backfield down to to two players we have to care about. And if that was just Damian Harris and Ramondre, that would be great, right? Like, I, I feel like we saw enough from Ramondre last year that we could comfortably say that he can do this. He can catch 45 balls. He can catch 50 balls. That would be really fun. Pierre Strong is the other, and I'm, I'm glad he's at least on the list because Pierre Strong was a guy that I was super interested in before we knew where he was going to land. Um, I, I think once he landed in New England, you had to start thinking of him as like the long-term replacement for James White, like a year down the road, two years down the road. Um, maybe once they make a, a decision whether or not to re-sign Damian Harris, maybe Pierre Strong gets interesting. So this gives him a path. He was uh, South Dakota State. He, he tested, you know, just combine wise, he tested just about as well as as anybody in the position, um, like four, three speed, like 36 inch vertical, certainly has the athleticism for the position. He was he was a home run hitter at a, you know, small school quality of competition issues there for sure. But I think I think Pierre Strong is really interesting. It was 
I'll also just say it was a it was a bummer to take James White out of my running back ranks. Like that was I, I don't know. Yeah. I did I took no pleasure in that. It's one of those things you have to do. A guy retires, you got to take him out of the ranks. But I was like, oh, this is too bad. Yeah, it's a bummer. Like I said, I I think James White was a really fun player. I mean, the Ty Montgomery thing, dude. I I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. I mean, at least he's not wearing jersey number eighty eight. He's fourteen now with the Patriots, which <laughs> I mean, isn't that much better? <laughs> we know he's um, we know he's a converted wide receiver from a hundred years ago. You know, he was one of the fi- listen on this podcast. We are not going to discuss position um, position <laughs> eligibility or whatever in fantasy. Like, I'm going to hammer that right now. We're not doing that. Do not send in any of those statements or questions. But we know he was a guy that was the face of that war, you know, many, many years ago. Um, you know, there's still there's still blood in the streets from the fantasy wars on that one, man. There truly um, is. <laughs> I, I wasn't working with you guys at the time, but uh, there's there was that. And I mean, oh, my God. Yeah. Anyways, stop, 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 stop. My, <laughs> we're not doing this. But anyways, Ty Montgomery, it's a little strange to buy into him in the year 2022. But if he's going to be a thing, if Pierre Strong is going to be a thing, if Johnu Smith's going to be pass catching back. That really messes up things for Ramondre Stevens. And I know there was, um, yeah. I'm going to call it a bit of a generous interpretation of Albert Breer's reporting that Damian Harris would be a trade candidate. I don't think that's really on the table. I think Harris probably plays out the last year of his deal. So I'm, I don't know. I've taken Damian Harris when he falls late in drafts. I've been interested in Ramondre Stevenson if he's going to go outside the top 30 backs because I'm, st- I'm still betting that Stevenson leads the running backs and targets. But maybe it's not by that wide of a margin. And we also have to keep in the back of our minds here, Andy. This The offensive reports out of Patriots training camp have been, I mean, show would be a kind way to put it. it <laughs> there's not been a good, like a single good note, really. Yeah. Other than some of the receivers are looking maybe better than expected. But it's a, it's a brutal situation there. They're also trying to overhaul the blocking scheme to more of a Shanahan zone run style of, of situation which is not what they've done before and Matt Patricia's the guy overseeing the offensive line at the at the bare minimum and maybe the entire operation so maybe I've never been the like don't draft a Patriots running back at fantasy because you can't predict but like this might be the year I'm, I might pass on this entire operation yeah the guys coaching the offense probably shouldn't be coaching uh an offensive uh unit right like so that's one probably problem not. um Almost every note that you see uh, that is in any way bullish about any member of the receiving core also carries kind of a slight condemnation of other elements of the receiving core, right? Like it's yeah. not, it's never just like, you know, wow, another wow play made by, you know, Devonte Parker or Kendrick Bourne or whatever. There's always just a little hint of, um, you know, somebody else not showing well at camp and it hasn't been, hasn't been all glowing reports about Mac Jones either. And we, you know, like one thing we talk about all the time you need to tune out all the sunshine that uh, that gets thrown your way during camp season. But you should probably like prick up an ear when when you start hearing negative reports. Didn't quite work out last season, notably with the Bengals. Right. We heard plenty of negative reports about two of the great difference makers in fantasy football in 2021. But generally <laughs> speaking, when when you start hearing like eh, another ugly day for whoever, um, that is that is something you should pay attention to. Yeah, especially when it comes to an entire unit. Um, Speaking of (laughs) negative reports, the Athletics' Nate Taylor believes that Ronald Jones needs to have a strong preseason and could be a trade candidate. Spoiler alert, 
I don't think anybody's trading for Ronald Jones. Uh, this <laughs> means he's probably not going to make yeah. the roster if he doesn't have a great preseason. I saw a report today that he's working with the third team. Dalton and I talked about Isaiah Pacheco, um, you know, who's been drawing comparisons anywhere between LeBron James or Prime Jesus, if you believe Ian Hardis. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you at with this uh, Chiefs backfield, which is a backfield that we you know want to care about because I mean, we've yeah. tried this, right? We've tried this whole thing. It sounds like Ronald Jones is out of the mix, but not totally out of the mix. Where are you? I want to take your temperature on this because, again, you're a smart guy. You tell me what to do with this Chiefs thing. We've been hearing Pacheco running with the first team or getting first team reps now for like a couple weeks. So so that's not new. I really I really think the 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 more important piece of the Ronald Jones news is that Pacheco is pretty clearly going to be uh, part of the picture here. It might just be a special teams role, right? He might just be a return guy. He's really fast. I'm probably one of the only people around here with experience actually rostering him anywhere um, because I had him in like. I, I play a college fantasy league that is Big Ten only, which probably sounds like a nightmare to most of you. Um, and it is you a little bit of a nightmare. You monster. You absolute monster. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I've had to care about the Rutgers running back situation before. And, like, Pacheco can play. Um, it was a terrible environment, obviously. But that guy can play. Um, and he's clearly turned some heads in Kansas City. So this is... Any any negativity about Ronald Jones, I feel like it's not even about Ronald Jones. It's about like this late round pick that they've found um, and they think might be might be gold. So that's so that's pretty fun. Pacheco's probably a guy that you want to take a, a late flyer on. There's a there's a lot of places out there where like Ronald Jones could get a pretty soft landing. So I, I agree with you. I don't I don't I don't think anybody's trading for Ronald Jones. I think it's much more likely that he becomes one of these guys that gets, you know, get gets cut midway through the preseason so that he can find a new team and they kind of do him a solid that way. Right. Um, cause he, he can still play. Um, I was, yeah. I was somewhat bullish about him coming into the summer just because of what a disappointment, you know, Edwards Alaire has been over, over multiple seasons. Not, you know, not, not that he's been terrible, but within the context of that offense, we might've expected more. Um, and I thought Ronald Jones could, uh, could maybe be a guy who falls into a, into a goal line role that, that is pretty clearly not happening. Cause we, we do keep seeing reports that like Ronald Jones with the third team again, uh, second team, third team, it's never the first team for Ronald Jones. So that's a little bit of a concern. Yeah. I was with you that I thought there was a chance that Jones could be a really interesting draft pick later on. Cause he's another guy that, you know, people have been burned by. They're not going to want to take Ronald Jones really aggressively, I, but this is one of those things where you do ranks before training camp and it looks one way and, you know, pretty much right away. It was like, OK, let me put a green light on Pacheco and put a red light on Ronald Jones and like bury him a little bit. I agree with you, though, that he could still have an impact somewhere because he's not a bad runner. He's just right. a, a total tell to the defense, which is probably why he's the more you think about it, the more he's a strange fit in Kansas City because they don't want to just have a banger back out there. Anyways, yeah, so I think we see Ronald Jones somewhere, but it's probably not going to be in Kansas City. And I do think this – where are you at with Pacheco? Like, are you are you drafting him, or or, or do you want to see more of how this plays out? Does this move you on CEH at all? Who is – I mean, is anybody gassed about uh, CEH at this point? I, uh, I actually just made Pacheco this last weekend when I was in New York for the flex league drafts. He was, he was my, he was my last round pick, right? Like I just thought I was taking a bunch of flyers on, on rookies and young running backs. And I think he's one of those guys that you have to throw into the mix. Cause he, I mean, he makes this team and he's just like, he's yeah. just one injury away. I mean, they shoot, they threw Derek Gore into the mix last year. Like they'll, they'll mm -hmm. throw some stuff on the field and see if it works. And if it does work, um, they'll, they'll run with it. So 
pretty interested in Pacheco. Again, he's just a, a combination of physical traits that, you know, I, I've seen I've seen people, uh, uh, you, you know, harken back to Kansas City running backs of the past that got that got a little bit of buzz in the preseason and then didn't do anything. And I, I just think he's a I think he's a better athlete than all those guys. And there's been more persistent uh, buzz about him from the start of camp than than we're accustomed to seeing. All right. Well, there we go. We are somewhat interested in Isaiah Pacheco here. Last thing in the news, um, we've got. Oh, by the way, before I, I want to give a shout out to Lord Podcast because he did just he, he slacked me on the side and said Ronald Jones <laughs> to the Ravens might actually be a, a pretty fascinating one, considering that, you know, Gus Edwards yeah. still banged up and talk about like, we don't care if he's a passing down back. <laughs> and so if the, if Ravens exactly. is a good fit there. So that's a good one. That's why that's why he's the Lord of Podcasts, Lord Podcast. He, <laughs> he's got a good suggestion there. Last piece of the news. And I'm, I don't think we have to break this down because we're going to talk about the quarterback that this is going to benefit here in our next section. Dwayne Brown signs with the Jets on a two year deal. I think in some ways this actually could be really good news for Zach Wilson anyways. Like, Mekhi Becton, it sucks what happened to him, but I think the Jets were coming into the season with, like, we'll see sort of expectations on Mekhi Becton. They switched his position to right tackle. This also this does make me wonder. Rich Samini from ESPN had the same thought. Was it, Does this mean George Fant goes back to right tackle? Uh, he had been playing at left tackle in, in place of Mekhi Becton. Dwayne Brown is a long is a career-long left tackle, um, but was pretty good last year. He was 26 in pass block win rate uh, among offensive tackles last year. So this could end up being good news for our guy, Zach Wilson, and, and the whole New York offense if, you know, Dwayne Brown hasn't just completely fallen off a cliff. Yeah. And like we're we're drafting a ton of Jets. This isn't like, oh, you man, know, this yeah. isn't some version of the Jets where you can just ignore them in fantasy. Right. Um, maybe, maybe not Wilson himself, but Elijah Moore is a thing and Wilson's a thing. And Brees Hall is going in like round three, round four. Right. So we it's been almost nothing but terrible news about this offensive line. So anything that patches it together uh, is a pretty good sign. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to our, our main section of the show today. Andy, I had an idea to do this as an episode because I think it was something you said a couple of podcasts ago about, you know, trying to envision if we're wrong about something. And I think this is always an important exercise to do because you can be super bullish on your player takes. You can be super bullish on scheme uh, changes, but we know the NFL is unpredictable. Fantasy football there is a, is unpredictable as well. Certain things are not going to go the way we anticipate. And I think it's important to not he maybe hedge your bets, although that sounds like a cowardly thing to do, but at least envision where in the range of outcomes things can go wrong. I, I've said a hundred times that I wish I had just taken like Debo Samuel's 2020 season and when he was injury ridden <laughs> and just thrown it in the trash and completely ignored it. I wish I had thought to myself at some point last year, what if I'm wrong about Debo Samuel being that version of who he was and is just more like the rookie year version. And I think, look, I, I wouldn't have been any less gassed about Brandon Ayuk, but I would have been more gassed about Debo Samuel. So that's kind of the way, way I think that we can benefit from this sort of exercise. So let's first do guys we might be wrong about, like we're, we're concerned we, we might be wrong about. And then another section, this one's gonna be more fun, guys we want to be wrong about. So let's start <laughs> first with the guys we might be wrong about. And I'll let you kick it off with any of the four guys here that you have on the outline. Yeah, um, I, I think I want to start with a guy that uh, that that we discussed, you know, the last time we were together, um, Gabe Davis, just a just a, a crazy range of outcomes are possible for this guy. And I, you know, we're, we're in a very similar spot on him ranks wise, like I've got him like wide receiver 30, which basically means you don't get him because there's always somebody in a draft who thinks Gabe Davis is a top 20 receiver or at least a top 25 receiver. Dalton Del Don. 
the, yes. the person is yeah. Dalton Del Don. Has there's very few people who think show. he's a top sixteen receiver, but like that's where <laughs> Dalton is. Um, but there is a lot of bullishness on him. Part of my part of my opinion, of course, is uh, is simply the fact that like there's just never been. First of all, he's 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 and we discussed this before. He's not going to be Stephon Diggs. There's a clear number one in Buffalo, and it is not Gabe Davis. Um, and that right there is a problem, right? Like he needs. He needs a significant injury in order to in order to ascend to like being a number one receiver. We don't generally see a lot of number two receivers who, you know, become fantasy difference makers. However, uh, this is a Josh Allen led offense. Uh, I, I think most of us can envision uh, the possibility that Josh Allen throws for like forty eight hundred yards and forty touchdowns. Right. That's definitely in play. Everybody talks about him as an MVP candidate. He clearly is. He's great. Um, and if he's going to have a season like that then there's going to be more than one receiving option who just absolutely blows up. We haven't yet seen the guy who was supposed to be the clear number two in Buffalo really have just a supernova season, right? It didn't happen for John Brown, didn't happen for Emmanuel Sanders. I, I can certainly imagine Gabe Davis being that guy. Like there's definitely a path here, even with a totally healthy, you know, all pro version of Stefan Diggs, there's a path for Gabe Davis to have 1100 yards and, 10 touchdowns, 12 touchdowns like that. We, we know that Josh Allen likes him, likes him in the red zone. We know that there's going to be a ton of points available here. So that is a, that is a clear possibility. And it does strike me that I have not ranked him as if, as if that's going to happen, right? Like my rank, my rank probably communicates 900 yards and seven or eight touchdowns. Even, you know, if Davis even has like 750 yards and seven touchdowns, that's a, that's a big jump for, for him from where he's been to this point in his career, but it's still not, it's still not where you want him to go if you're drafting him, like, you know, as the 25th receiver off the board or whatever. But I, I, I am cognizant of the fact that I could be, I, I could be horrendously underranking him and he could actually be a star. Yeah. I think that 900 yards and seven, eight touchdowns is a huge W for the bills. Like I think the bills yeah. will say we got what we wanted out of Gabe Davis and he broke out for us but he might then not have broken out at the high range of outcomes in his, in his fantasy projection. So, but at the same time, I think if you're going to, I'm not going to redo all my game, Gabe Davis points from last podcast with Dalton, but I think if you are going to be wrong about Gabe Davis, Andy, and you know, me as an extension of that, Isaiah McKenzie will have to not make much of an impact this year. I think Dawson Knox will have to not take a step forward and I'm not betting. And James Cook as a pass catching back will have to not really be a big factor despite the team signaling that they want somebody in that role. So I think that, and I think all of that's a stretch, like all three of those things happening is a stretch. One, two of the three is, is, is most likely in my opinion going to happen. Yeah. A lot of buzz around McKenzie too. Um, a lot of camp buzz around him and he finished the season really strong with, with, you know, like they didn't miss like a beat when Cole Beasley was out. And in fact, they were, they were arguably a little bit better from the slot when Cole Beasley was out. So, um, yeah, McKenzie seems like he's going to be a thing, as you say, like there's no way that Dawson Knox is going away. He also was just a, a magnet when they got inside the red zone last year. So this is entirely possible. It is totally, it is totally within the range of outcomes. Obviously that Davis, uh, simply gives us 600, 700, 800 yards. The bills recognize that as development and a, and a positive for the team. It, again, it's also possible that like the taste that we got in the playoffs is somewhat real. And the guy ends up with 10 touchdowns. Totally possible. I think there is a real chance we might be wrong about that. Um, I'll go to some of my more interesting ones uh, here. First of all, I'll talk about just the Denver Broncos in general. I think there's a chance, and I it's I'm not ranking it this way, 
Like I said, <laughs> I, I'm, I've got Russ as a top 10 quarterback. I've got Cortland Sutton as a green light pick where he goes. I, I've got now that Tim Patrick's out of the mix. I'm in on where Jerry Judy's going as a top 30 receiver, you know, fringe top 25 guy. Um, I'm, I'm in on Albert O as a back end tight end one. I've got Javante Williams as a green light where he's going. Andy, I just can't shake the idea that this doesn't work out though. I, and I, I don't know if it's like a hunch or a gut feeling. I don't know if I trust it. I don't know if I believe it, but I think there's a chance that the entire fantasy industry and me as an extension is wrong about how this Denver Broncos situation plays out because I think the idea that the quarterback was going to come in and just be dropped into an offense with all great players playing at the height of their powers and just being masked by a bad quarterback. I think that's just flat out wrong because I've said this before. Cortland Sutton was playing below expectation last year, got away or some of the blame for how he was um, doing literally nothing. You know, when Jerry Judy and all the other guys were out there and just wasn't getting open. I don't think he played well as an individual. Jerry Judy also hasn't quite hit just yet, even though I think there was better rookie year signal than second year single signal when he was playing, not with a high ankle sprain. And now they have no third receiver there that's a proven guy like Tim Patrick. So they're a little more shallow there. The tight ends aren't necessarily proven either, although I'm excited about both uh, Greg Dulcich and Albert O. The, I think Javante Williams is a perilous pick. Not too like There's not too much of a scary floor, but I think the ceiling is capped by Melvin Gordon. And then there's the Russ part of it too. And, and I don't want to talk bad about Russ but he is such a specific quarterback and like dominate. Like it's like the biggest presence in the room. Like Russ has, you have to like this idea that, Oh, Nate, Nate Hackett's going to cater his offense to Russell Wilson, buddy. You have to cater your offense to Russell Wilson because he's short and plays a specific (laughs) fashion. Like you can't just take, you can't just be Peyton Manning and just drop that in and it, it all works out. So, I just can't shake the feeling that even, especially like early in the season, we're all looking at this Denver situation. Like, um, this, this is it. <laughs> it's also, it's also one of those situations, you know, we talk about this all the time in the NFL where we're, you know, we, we really like continuity. We say it a lot. Well, they don't have it right. Um, new, nope, new quarterback, new coaching staff. This is a, it's a lot of newness all at once. It is a, it is a good point. It's a fair point on the, on the receiving core as well. Like we've, Cortland Sutton hasn't been good since the since the injury, right? Since the knee injury, since returning from it. Um, I, like I think that another year removed from that injury, we're we're gonna see something like the the earlier version of Sutton, but we Same. didn't see it last year. I think that Jerry Judy has a breakout season in him. If it's not this year, it's at some point. But like he hasn't done it in the NFL for a full season yet. We've seen glimpses, but we certainly haven't. We haven't even really seen like a great month from Jerry Judy. I mean, he's just, he's, uh, it's a pretty undistinguished NFL career to this point. Again, we like, I've got him ranked as a, as a wide receiver, like a high end wide receiver three, somewhere in there. I've got him yeah. ranked as somebody that we, we clearly draft. Um, he just hasn't done it. And, um, Albert O hasn't actually done it over a protracted period of time in the NFL. So it's a fair, it's a fair call out. The other thing with Wilson and I, I, you know, listeners to this podcast have heard me make this point before. He did not run at all last year, like at yeah. all. Um, he didn't have, and he's 33 probably, years old. Like he's yeah. 33. It, it, that could, that be a, like a evaporating part of his game. Yeah. He, I mean, he didn't have an injury last year that should have affected his running and he didn't do it. Like, I don't think he had a 40 yard rushing game last year. So if that element of his game is gone, 
he needs to he needs to throw 35 touchdown passes like he's got to be 4500 yards and 35 touchdown passes if he's going to justify the the sort of average draft position that we've given him um because again this is not like he's kind of out of the dual threat quarterback club right now it'll be a big referendum season i think on russ because (laughs) it's like wow look at russ with these great receivers in theory We've seen Russell Wilson with two like top 10 receivers, in my opinion, in DK Metcalf yeah. and Tyra Lockett or fringe top. Like you could make an argument that those guys are top 10 receivers. One, the, I, I still think from a talent perspective, potentially the best duo in the NFL. We've seen that. So was it really just all Pete Carroll holding him back this entire time? <laughs> I have a tough time buying into that being the case. And, you know, at some point in fantasy, you do have to pay the ADP price for assumptions. But I think we're not giving enough credit to how much like assumptions we're baking into all of this Denver thing. And like I said, I'm still ranking these guys as mostly green lights, but I'm pretty pretty terrified that uh, I, I can um, that that I can <laughs> that, that I'm wrong about it. Basically, um, speaking of baking in assumptions in ADP, I want you to talk about Trey Lance because look, we're gonna this might be the only time I'm assuming here that you're gonna say like, what if this goes wrong with Trey Lance? I'm, I'm making yeah. the assumption. Speaking of assumptions, but but we're going to be all gassed up on Trey Lance this entire this entire month of August here on this podcast and mostly throughout the fantasy industry. So, Andy, what if we're wrong about that? Yeah, really, really easy make the, to make the case for him, right? I mean, he had two starts last year, and in those two starts, he ran the ball 24 times. So that's awesome, right? Like, we know there's a – as long as he's healthy, we know there's a rushing floor there that's going to be really good for fantasy. Um, we know that his receiving core, like one through three, is, is just absolutely as good as it gets. Debo, Ayuk. Kittle, like, that's great. That is, that is, we're set. But I mentioned earlier, like, we, we need to pay attention when there are reports from camp that aren't glowing, right? And um, this feels like a little bit more of a roller coaster ride than we would want it to be. Oh, yeah. um, like, you know, again, you, you look at the Twitter feed from the, from the guys who are at Niners camp every day and, as often as not, you're, you're seeing a eh, mixed bag from Trey Lance today. Trey Lance was 10 for 20 today. You know, like it's not always it's not always great. And a lot of the great moments are really just hero plays by Ayuk, right? <laughs> like all the, all, the, all the buzziest clips that we've seen have just been Brandon Ayuk doing incredible things. Um, so it could be that um, they don't really have a passing game that can sustain drives and support an offense that's going to average like 27, 28 points per game. Like this might not be um, as, you know, and I've got, I've got Lance ranked right now, right next to Jalen Hurts. Like I don't, I don't really see a whole lot of difference between these two. They both have excellent receivers. Um, Hurts, obviously a little bit more experience. Neither one of them is a sure thing as a passer. Um, they're both, I think, going to be terrific uh, rushing options for their team. I think the Niners are going to do fun things with Trey Lance. I think they're going to give him, you know, a, an offense that really suits his skills. Um, but it is entirely possible that he does not finish as like a top eight fantasy quarterback. And that's where I've got him ranked right now. Like, I again, I don't I don't see a huge divide between him and Jalen Hurts. Um, it, it could very well be that. He, he simply can't pass at a level just yet that um, that that allows this offense to be what, what we think it ought to be. Roller coaster, I think, is the best way to say it, as you did. It's there's going to be some high highs and and even the Niners training camp reports have basically been that they've everybody says like once they get into actual team drills and he can kind of 
break the mold of the offense a little bit, that's when you get a lot of good stuff there from Trey Lance, but it's going to be rocky. I think there's almost no way um, that it's not rocky this year for Trey Lance. And and that's fine. I, it's all part of the development plan for the player. I think in, we, in fantasy, we just have to accept that. And, and none um, of that's going to matter if he runs for 800 yards, right? Like if he runs yeah, exactly. for 800 yards and eight touchdowns, like he's going to be great. Exactly. I think he's there's no way he fails really in fa- like outright fails in fantasy, but um, there's certainly a chance that the offense is a roller coaster, uh, as we said. I want to talk, oh man, I, I want to talk about DeAndre Swift. Like, you know, when you really get into the efficiency metrics from a rushing perspective for DeAndre Swift, they're actually not very good. Right. You know, like from just an actual rushing perspective. I also wonder about you know, everybody talks about Amon Ross St. Brown's target totals. Everybody talks about how he's not going to do what he did then last season because DeAndre Swift is there. Well, what if DeAndre Swift doesn't do what he did as a receiver early in the season because of the offensive coaching staff change? We know that Anthony Lynn's out the door and I think they'll still use DeAndre Swift as a, as a receiver. You know, Dan Campbell was the one who specifically compared him to like Alvin Kamara, you know, when he first got there to Detroit. So I don't think that's totally going to go away. But again, what if his receiving role, DeAndre Swift, seeds more towards Amon Ross St. Brown and all the other guys that they've got there now? I think that's entirely plausible. St. Brown's ADP bakes in, totally, I think, bakes in the risk that he's not going to have the role that he did to end last season. DeAndre Swift's ADP does not bake that in. Um, I, again, I'm greenlighting DeAndre Swift. I will draft DeAndre Swift where he goes. But they still want to use Jamal Williams or Jeremy Fowler from ESPN reported today even said, you know, the the dreaded this is going to bother fantasy managers, but they're going to split the carries. I don't really actually think that matters that much. Like Williams role should be assumed in this offense because he's a pretty decent back and he's just coaches catnip, man, because he's so reliable. But anyways, (laughs) DeAndre Swift, are you concerned at all that we might be wrong about this guy? This is a I'm I'm glad you introduced this name because I I feel like every time I talk about Amon Ross St. Brown, I always I always make the point in a very general sense that sort of what they unleashed late last year. There's no way you can put that back in the bottle and Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be a thing. And I I feel like I'm never forced to specify um, where those stats are going to come from because somebody somebody has to pay for it. Right. And it could it could very well be DeAndre Swift. Like this is a good call. He I'm just looking at his game log right now. And obviously, you know, there was a point last season about about midway through the year. He hadn't been injured yet when you're like, wow, is this guy going to catch 90 balls? Because he started the season eight catches four, seven catches, four, six, five, eight. Like that's the way his season was going to look. He was going to have a bunch of like six, seven, eight reception games. That's huge. Um, and it is it is the reason that there's somebody in every draft who is looking at him in round two. Right. Um, I haven't I haven't drafted a lot of him because I just don't like he's not my guy in the second round, um, in, in part because I know that he's in a committee like there's no question he's in a committee. He's got the best part of it and they trust him. You know, they get inside the 10 yard line. And they still trust him. They still put him on the field. So it's not like, you know, he's he's he has absolutely no presence at the goal line or anything like that. But he, you know, he's a guy who's probably capped at something like 16 touches a game, 17 touches a game. I think he's in line, you know, like what, just thinking about DeAndre Swift, I'm like, how is this guy never going to have like a 90 catch season? How is this guy not going to have an 80, 85 catch season if he if he remains healthy? But this is an entirely plausible place for some of those Amon Rossi Brown stats to come yeah. from, right? Like that makes a ton yeah. of sense because we also saw, and you and I have talked about this, like they didn't. It's not like St. Brown was just the slot receiver. They were doing a whole bunch of really fun things with him, including putting him in the backfield occasionally. 
Yeah, I don't think he leaves the field this year. I think he's like a 90% yeah. snap player, Zaman Ross St. Brown. Um, let's go rapid fire here. On just like you can list them off and maybe say a sentence about what we might be wrong here with the rest of these guys before we transition to the guys we want to be wrong about. You've got Cam Akers, Devin Singletary. Real quick, what do we think we might be misreading there? Yeah, this is this is one guy I get none of. I don't I don't get any Cam Akers, um, but I am Same. concerned because there's always like there's also always somebody in a draft who I like respect and I consider a competitive player who really likes Cam Akers and takes a little victory lap after they draft him. So I worry about that. Um, it, like he was the, no fault. Who of are his these own. people? I'm sorry. I, I know we said we we're going to go quickly. I'm not. I don't know that. I don't know. There's one single person I know that is in on Cam Akers. But maybe oh I'm, man, there's I'm, people who really like Cam Akers, and I and I get the idea that you know if he just gets the workload that he that he saw in the playoffs last year, like and he's healthy, that's great. But he wasn't a good player in the in the postseason, right? Like he was, he almost fumbled away the the Tampa game. Um, never more than like 55 rushing yards in any game, and it's not even his fault. He was like six months removed from Achilles surgery, so it's fine. Hopefully he's better. It's just every time, every time Sean McVay talks about his backfield, he mentions both Henderson. He mentions Acres. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure he's the full workload guy. But if he is the full workload guy, that's like 1,700 yards and a bunch of touchdowns, and maybe you win your league. And then the other, the other guy that I had on the list with Devin was Devin Singletary, who I do get a lot of, and I feel like I kind of smirk when I get him, like I know something that other people don't. Right? Um, he, he was so good last year when he had something close to like the full featured role when they just decided hey we're going to make this Devin Singletary's backfield it was 17 18 touches a game it was a bunch of yards they threw to him he was fine in the end zone um, he had no trouble when he was in goal to go situations it was great it is totally still possible I mean Kareem Hunt is a trade candidate Josh Jacobs may or may not be a trade candidate like there's there's a lot of good backs out there who could still land in Buffalo and mess this up for Devin Singletary so I, I worry that I might be wrong there yeah, I hear you on both of those. My two guys, one super boring, Devontae Parker. I I'm I I'm more in on Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne. I think those guys are the best receivers on the team. But I had to bump Devontae Parker up because it sounds like he's going to be the one that plays every single snap um, and is the legit X receiver on this team. So um, I think there's a good chance that he just never leaves the field and is the best receiver on the team, even though I think he's third in terms of talent, but who really cares? It sounds like the Patriots office is going to suck. More interesting is DJ Moore who finished wide receiver 19 last year has drafted a couple of spots ahead of that, but I've got ranked as wide receiver 11 and I actually have him top five in the NFL and targets because the pa uh, the Panthers have played with more pace than we think they've thrown the ball with more pace than we think uh, he to me is he's going to have that season at some point where he scores seven, eight touchdowns. I don't have him projected that way, but I'm ranking him as if like he takes that step with Baker Mayfield. But what if Baker Mayfield is more like 2021 Baker Mayfield or 2019 Baker Mayfield and not the 20? I mean, we're just kind of asking for 2020 Baker Mayfield here to hit with DJ Moore. And what if we don't get that? I, I think there's a chance I'm wrong about DJ Moore. And I, I do have him ranked aggressively. Yeah, I we, we've talked about him before. I don't have him ranked particularly aggressively, but he's also one of those guys where like if we were just redrafting the entire NFL like from scratch for like real life purposes, he he'd probably be a top 10 receiver for me. I think he's I think he's yeah, great. He's so just good. so far. He's just following this like Brandon Marshall, Allen Robinson path where when, mm. when are we ever going to see him with a with a great quarterback? Yeah, the floor feels great for DJ Moore, but I've kind of got him ranked closer to his ceiling, and um, I don't trust the Panthers to not F it up, which doesn't feel really yeah. uh, smart for me. Um, Andy and I are going to take a break here real quick, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the guys we want to be wrong about. I'm looking forward to it right after this. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. 
The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, Andy, guys we want to be wrong about. We're pretty confident in how this thing is going to play out with these players. (laughs) Maybe, 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 but we also might be wrong about it. Why don't you start off with Saquon Barkley here? By the way, uh, Dalton Del Flamethrower is going to come on the podcast next week and just absolutely rip us with Saquon Barkley hot takes. So keep that in mind. But you tell us why you're you're a little worried we might be wrong about Saquon. Well, I don't I don't have any Saquon, right? Like there this is another guy where there's always someone who thinks he should be like a back end of the first round, early second round, you know, takes a little bit of a victory lap after they draft Saquon. We've seen a ton of perfectly ordinary camp clips where like he's catching a pass unguarded in the end zone and then it's rocket emoji, stock up emoji, right? Everybody's super <laughs> oh, excited yeah. about him. And like, you're, you're not showing me anything here. Like he's not, he's not doing this against a defense. We're not like, I don't, I don't get, I, I hope, I hope that we get the, the version of Saquon Barkley that, you know, it, in college, like at Penn state, he, he was one of those few college running backs. And like, I'd take it back to like Adrian Peterson, maybe one or two other guys where just at the college level, you just knew this guy's a star. Like this guy, this guy's ready to be a very good NFL player right now, almost any environment. So like I had very few questions about him coming out of college. And I wouldn't say that about very many running backs. Um, and then he was great immediately, 2000 scrimmage yards and the injuries clearly took a toll. He was, he was not a good player last year. The first guy who touched him almost always tackled him, right? No, no big plays, no breakaways. Um, very few missed tackles, but he's an, he's another year removed from from the knee injury. It, it could be good. Um, I hope it is. But at this range of a draft, I I I am much more likely to to. I think I'm drafting the guy who played last year, right? <laughs> like I'm not. Yeah. I can't I can't build in a lot of enthusiasm, um, f- especially when the version of this player that we most recently saw was utterly ineffective. Um, however, they haven't like, there's nobody behind him that, that signals that the giants particularly worried about Barkley, right? Like this, this depth chart is his, um, it is clear that they intend to give him 300 plus touches. So like he's stepping into what should be a a full featured workload. It's totally possible that he could catch 75, 85 passes. That's great. Um, and if he's, if he's 95% of the uh, rookie year version of Saquon, He's going to be a home run. I've got him at like RB20, RB21, something like that. Again, because I'm because I'm assuming we're going to get the guy that we saw last year. So I just never get him. Um, I would love to be wrong because the the Penn State version, the rookie year version of Saquon is just is one of the most thrilling runners that we've seen. Well, um, like I said, Dalton's going to come on and, and give his full Saquon rebuttal. So I'll, I'll leave that for, again, foster our healthy disagreement because um, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, again, on Saquon there. So I'll give you my guy, and mine's Ezekiel Elliott. I actually think that there's a chance that the scenario I talk about plays out here, but I don't have him ranked that way. I've got him at RB16. Um, so he's like a a yellow light pick there for me, you know, whatever, you know, an RB tier four right before, right before the quote dead zone. But 
still in sort of a, a precarious situation there for Zeke, <laughs> where I'm not totally saying like, hey, you got to go draft this guy. But here's the deal with, with Zeke. Number one, Andy, I love it when the entire fantasy, it's seemingly like fantasy Twitter has had a narrative stuck in their head and it just goes to goes to hell right away. <laughs> and, you know, the narrative about Zeke is that he's washed and Tony Pollard's better because he is yards per carry and explosive run rate and whatever. I don't know why I'm doing the Jerry Jones impression when he's the <laughs> Zeke backer. That didn't actually make any sense. Point is here. Elliot was good to start last year, right? Like from the first five weeks of the season, averaged 90 rushing yards per game, uh, was targeted 11 times, scored six touchdowns. Like if he's the player that he was before this PCL injury, if, the, if we buy the PCL injury being a big problem for Zeke last year, and he's just the, the guy he was early last season, I think this would be a really fun season for Zeke. You know, I think this, I, I kind of think that at his peak, Zeke was an awesome player to watch. I, he's got, he's like the life cycle he, that we talk about the life cycle of fantasy backs, or at least I do all the time where he goes from, you know, the absolute darling of the fantasy world to this guy that we're all ready to see enough of and get the younger, exciting guy on the field. He is like the peak of both of those uh, extremes there. So I kind of want to be wrong about Zeke and I want him to have this like, RB one season where he, because he would be an extreme value where he goes, if he actually returns anything close to what he was doing last year, much less what he used to be doing. So like he seems, he's a back that's not going to see much rushing work and is not totally going to see the passing down stuff to Tony Pollard either. And he's tethered to a good offense that needs juice from somewhere because of their passing targets are, are so, are so, you know, terrible beyond CD lamb and Dalton Schultz and maybe Jalen Tolbert that's kind of like a back you want to draft in fantasy. And I think that he's sort of, what if, what if we're wrong about where Zeke is at this point in his career? Yeah. The other, the other thing that Zeke has going for him is that he can, he can have a, an inefficient real life game that is really good for fantasy because they get down yeah. to the five yard line and he is on the field. So he's banging it in. Yeah. Yeah. He can, he can have a game with like, uh, 18 carries for 49 yards and two touchdowns. Like that's totally in play. And that's, that's fine. Like, that's great. That's a good fantasy day. Um, you, you can win your week with that. So he can have, he can have bad games and still finish the season with like 12 touchdowns, 14 touchdowns, something like that. That's totally in play. But I, I, you know, I actually buy the story about his, you know, cause the the Cowboys talked about his injury last year. They didn't specify what it was took us until you know the off season to learn that it was the pcl but that's a real thing you know that's one of the mm-hmm. cls you want to you want all your yeah. cls functioning <laughs> uh to to be at your best as a running back and so like he's just one of those guys who plays through an injury and then but we don't give him any credit for it this you know we, we've talked about that with with odell beckham before with antonio gibson um and and it applies to zeke as well we we i mean we all decided that tony pollard was a better player while Zeke was playing with a torn knee ligament and man, that, that might not be right. Like you're, you're absolutely right to call out that he was a good player early in the season. Um, all of the, all of the off season reports have been glowing here too. So it's, yeah, I agree. It's, it's in play that Zeke Elliott finishes as like the RB five. Like that's, he's, yeah. they want to feed him. Um, and there's like, if we think the Cowboys are going to be a good team, we think they're going to be a division contender, a playoff contender. Of course, he can score 12 touchdowns, 14 touchdowns. That's what they have in mind for him. 350, 400 hate touches. That's what's coming to, <laughs> to Zeke Elliott this year. All right. Give me another guy that you want to be wrong about. 
I would love to be wrong about James Robinson and he's buried in my mm-hmm. ranks. Um, and it's the, it's the very late season, very, very serious injury, right? It's the cam Akers situation, the Achilles, um, James Robinson is playing in camp though. And he's getting all kinds of time with the, with the ones. That's a great sign. I, I would love it if James Robinson not only can, can be on the field in week one and early in the season, but can actually have like a half share of the, of the workload. I think that would be an incredible story. I think he's just generally a wonderful story, right? Like a, a totally ignored commodity coming into the league who who just Agree. starred right away um, in an ugly environment too, like in an environment where uh, anybody like could have been excused for for not putting up numbers. He did. So he was a great story the first couple of years, really got like, you know, everybody got mistreated in a way by Urban Meyer last year, but, but James Robinson really did, right? Like often coming off the field while Carlos yeah. Hyde was trotting on. Like, what the hell? What, why did that happen? Um, to the so point for, that Trevor Lawrence was even like, what are we doing here? It took right. publicly to the media, like a rookie quarterback was saying right. that that's a lot. It was, it was wild. And and then for his season to end as it did an in injury, um, I, I really hope he comes back and he's great. I haven't ranked it that way. I haven't, I haven't drafted him because I just find it to be an implausible injury recovery, but I, I hope that's wrong. And I hope he's great. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I want to be wrong about James Robinson. All right, I'll go rapid fire on my last three here and then let you round it out with your last two. Um, Sort of rapid fire on the first, but definitely rapid fire on the last two. Um, I want to be wrong about Rondale Moore because, you know, Cliff Kingsbury and the boys are all saying, like, he's going to take the Christian Kirk role. He's getting expanded role. Excuse me for not trusting Cliff Kingsbury and like his deployment <laughs> of players and being all that sharp about it because we've seen since he's come to the NFL he's just not. So I want to be wrong about that. I'm ranking Rondo more as if um he's gonna still play at least somewhat in the role he had last year. Which I want to read this off because. I cannot overstate enough how Rondell Moore's rookie year reception perception is the weirdest profile. I've I've been doing this since 2014. It's the weirdest by far. So just a few just a few notes here. Rondell Moore ran a screen route on 29.9% of his sampled routes in RP. That's the most by a country mile. The previous high was Debo Samuel at 18% in that injury wreck 2020 season scrolling down further you've got albert wilson in a partial sample at 14.8 that's a 50 percent drop off from what Moore did in 2020 Moore ran against zone coverage on 89 percent of his sampled routes it's mega rare for a guy to go over 70 percent it's just it's just wild stuff like historical outliers by 10 percent like he were lined up in the backfield 18.2% of his sample snaps, which you guessed it. That's the highest rate in RP history. Like he just wasn't even playing real wide receiver last year. Yeah. And I'm nervous. He's going to be back playing, not real wide receiver last year um, or, or this year again. But I'd love to be wrong about that because I if actually I, think I Rondo say, Moore's fun. I'm glad you mentioned him because he popped into my head when you were, when you were discussing Debo Samuel earlier, like, like, like Debo early in his career, Rondell Moore was a guy who was just basically targeted at the line of scrimmage and never went downfield last year. And so like, what do we do with a guy like early, early stage Debo was not even really playing receiver in any sort of traditional sense. It's, it's much the same. Yeah. It's really hard. And now I'm like sort of saying to myself, hey, remember what you just said at the start of the freaking podcast where you wanted to toss out Debo's 2020 season? Maybe I should toss this out, too. So this actually might make me rethink my ranking of Rondo Moore. But last two things, too. I want to be wrong about Chris Godwin. I freaking love Chris Godwin. I want him to be a baller this year with his ACL tear. But I'm I'm not ranking him that way. And I haven't been drafting him. And lastly, I mean. The Seahawks. I want to be wrong about the Seahawks. Okay. (laughs) 
because Tyler Lock and, and DK Metcalf are great receivers, and I want them to be great, and I don't want them. But this is an unserious quarterback situation, and I'll yeah. leave it at that. Andy, quickly hit me with your last two guys before we have to talk about the commanders. Yeah, the the other two names here, and uh, I, I'll try to keep it brief on the Bears. Um, I'm I I really want. You want to me to time on, you again? I really want to be wrong on Darnell Mooney. Um, and it's not not like I'm, you know, not like I hate Darnell Mooney or anything. But I generally, um, my opinion of Darnell Mooney is that like he is the Bears' number one by default. But I've been of the opinion that almost every great team has a receiver of Darnell's quality, sort of in a supporting role. And then I don't know. The other day, I'm not I'm not usually vulnerable to you know camp clips and the like and camp buzz, but man, um, I'm seeing some highlights of Darnell Mooney plucking a plucking a one handed catch in traffic, and I'm like, ah, maybe that would be awesome if he's that guy in the regular season consistently. I'll take that. Um, so I would love to be wrong about Darnell Mooney. I don't. I would love for him to be like a legit number one NFL wide receiver and not just the Bears de facto number one wide receiver. And then the other guy I, I would like to mention is Zach Wilson, who we sort of teased earlier. He ha- he really has to be good. I don't have him ranked that way. I've got him ranked like just absolutely buried in the undraftable range um, beyond QB 25. I think like he's he's way down there for me. It's not like he doesn't have exciting traits. He's got a huge arm. He can run a little bit. The offensive line has definitely been a concern, but he's he's the key to a lot of stuff for the Jets, because as we said, like we're drafting the shit out of this team We're you know, we're yeah. taking Brees Hall early. We're taking Elijah Moore early with good reason. He's a huge talent. We're drafting Wilson. We're like we're drafting a whole bunch of guys on this roster. And uh, if Zach Wilson can't make it go, that's a real problem. Echo everything you just said about both players. So um, we'll, we'll leave it at that. All right. Let's talk the Washington Commanders with the time that we have left here. Um, we did such a good job avoiding the Commanders and pushing them down. So well done. That's just good. Yeah. We, that. Hey, man, I can't, I'll, I'll gladly take that compliment. Thank you. Um, all right. Where do you want to start? I mean, where do you want to start with this team? I'm going to leave it up to you. I mean, I, I'd start with Terry McLaurin because I'm in the bag for Terry McLaurin, but I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, um, I guess let's start with McLaurin because he's great. Um, he is he is the one player that I can see overcoming as long as he's healthy, overcoming and an otherwise super uninteresting and unenviable uh, offensive situation here, right? Like I don't I don't love Carson Wentz. Obviously, I don't think anybody loves Carson Wentz, but I but we have seen Carson Wentz support you know wide receiver ones before. Like that can happen. He's good enough to make Terry McLaurin a thing again, um, and and I hope that's right because McLaurin can get easy separation from anybody. He's a deep threat. He's a short threat. He's like, this is, this is a number one. This, yeah. this is the kind of guy that I would love Darnell Mooney to be. Like I'm I, I'm I'm certainly excited about McLaurin. I think he's the one element of this offense that you can feel good about drafting. But beyond McLaurin, I'm like. Antonio Gibson's going to get a lot of work, but probably not as much work as he got last year. Like, I don't like if you come away from your draft without any Washington commanders, that's that's just fine. <laughs> that's, not, that's not really a it's not really a hole in, in your fantasy portfolio. Yeah, I mean, I love McLaurin. By the way, I've seen I, mean, I said this to you last time we saw each other in May. It seems like Bears fans are mega sensitive online right now because everybody's being mean to them and um, <laughs> they're, you know, I get it. They're a proud franchise, but there's a few like Bears folks that are like, you know, well, look at Terry McLaurin's stats. Everyone thinks he's so great. They're the same as Darno Mooney's. It's like, watch a game for once in your yeah. life. Watch, you know, watch a game. Uh, but I'll leave it at that. And I like, like I said, I like Darno Mooney, but Terry McLaurin is to me 
Stefan Diggs 2017-2018 where you just get him in the right situation, man, he's going to fly. This isn't the the situation as we know. <laughs> but I'm I'm I do want to draft McLaurin because I think he's relatively safe because Wentz is a quarterback upgrade. He's relatively safe and still I do believe he's so good that he has top 10 receiver in his range of outcomes because he's just that talented. I also I mean, look, if I really was honest with myself, I'd actually uh, maybe I'm I'm saving us from talking about the commanders for a long period of time here on the show because I there's a part of me that likes a lot of players here. I mean, I I've still have the candle lit for Curtis Samuel, even though there's <laughs> health questions about his health and conditioning and stuff like that. I love the way Scott Turner plays offense. I, I said this, I think, on the quarterback projection episode with Josh that you know the the Washington Commanders offense and P- Panthers offense under Scott Turner, young Turner, play fast and they throw the ball more than we think. So I like I'm kind of ahead on of consensus on Jahan Dotson, who's just a good football player too, and it can deal with Carson Wentz's inaccuracy because of his style of play. So I don't know, maybe I'm, like I guess I'm trying to save myself because I actually kind of like these pass catchers and, and the pace of play here. Yeah. I think the, I think the best version of Curtis Samuel might be a little bit more interesting than, than Dotson, but Dotson is one of those names that just pops up in the Twitter feed. Like every day he's, he seems to be making a play yeah. that makes beat writers, you know, mention him um, in camp, obviously a really good college player, not, you know, gaudy stats exactly, but really productive in an, in a not thrilling environment. Um, so I think Dotson can be a thing, but not, you know, an every week starter. Like, I just don't think that this receiving core produces a second player outside of McLaurin, who is just a plug and play every week guy. I don't, I think that seems a little far-fetched to me. You know, if you, this probably feels like an atrocious hot take, but you know, all of the flowers I didn't throw on the Denver uh, receivers there, you know, I think if you took Russell Wilson and dropped him on the commander's offense, I'd be so much more gassed up with that feels like a stupid thing to say, but I'd be so much more gassed up about this receiver core working with a proven good quarterback than the Denver receivers working with a proven good quarterback. And I probably would have said that pre Tim Patrick injury as well. I just really like Dotson and really like Samuel, but you kind of have you have to take a few leaps of faith with both players, but especially with Samuel because of the health concerns. Yeah, I'm trying to run through it. Like if Russell Wilson were on the commanders, I think I would draft Terry McLaurin as like the wide receiver. Eight, uh, yeah. seven, right? Like he's right in there um, because there would be a clear drop off, I think, between McLaurin and anybody else. Um I could really talk myself into the idea of Terry McLaurin as a 160 target receiver. Um, and, and those targets now coming from Russell Wilson, that would be really exciting. I would take it. Yeah. I mean, that fantasy land sounds awesome, but yeah, I, I, so I think you kind of have to take him though. If he has a top eight ceiling, just because of how good he is at wide receiver 15, like in, in ADP right now, wide receiver 15, 16, I think you just, you kind of have to take him there, at least sprinkle him in a little bit or don't outright avoid him. Last thing here, the backfield. I'm coming out with my running back projections lessons. And one of my biggest takeaways doing projections is Antonio Gibson is just stuck in the stone worst role for fantasy, which is that super problematic between the empty carries between the twenties. Andy, Antonio Gibson, any situation where you're drafting him. Yeah, this is this is brutal. He's really got to fall. Um, I've got him like I've got him right next to Barkley in my ranks, basically for two entirely different reasons. I think Antonio Gibson's a really good player, um, and this is just kind of a nightmare scenario because, as you say, like they've 
it, it's not just it's not just McKissick. McKissick is one problem. Um, he's gonna he's gonna vacuum up um, a, a lot of receptions that could easily go to Antonio Gibson. He's good at it. He used to he used to be a receiver. I don't know if you remember back in the day. Um, <laughs> I like may have that, heard that. Yeah, and and then and then they had Brian Robinson. Who I, like I'm not even sure if Brian Robinson is a good player. Um, but they're, but they're talking him up as if it's going to be the Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams situation and uh, Brian Robinson's going to take all these like short yardage goal line carries. So like the most high value carries go to somebody else. And a lot of the receiving workload goes to somebody else. So there's probably still a path for Antonio Gibson to get to, uh, you know, he's a 300 touch guy last year while playing on a broken leg, um, uh, incredible season by like when, when you really consider the the situation he was in, he's probably going to get 230, 240 touches. But as you say, they're, they're going to be not at the goal line and they're not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a high volume receiving role. So that's a huge problem. I, I do want to mention Robinson. Cause I was just, I was just having a, a drunk conversation with John Daigle over the weekend <laughs> in a, in an Uber, <laughs> uh, about Brian Robinson, um, which actually started as a conversation about Memphis running backs. Um, but that's neither here nor there. And a couple of uh, cool guys here. It, yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it was, it was the conversation was like the highlight of my weekend too, which tells you where I am in life and obviously where Daigle is like, it was a joy. It was a wow. joy talking football with Daigle it was great. Um, but, but, but he mentioned, you know, like he, uh, you know, not to put words in his mouth, but he, he was pretty down on Robinson. And the point that he made was like, this is the one Alabama running back who couldn't manage to, to rush for five yards per carry, right? Like everybody yeah, else fair. gets, gets behind that offensive line that is just full of future pros against a college schedule. Um, sometimes nobody's even touching you until you're eight yards downfield. Right. And he's like, the now granted we're comparing him to like Jacobs and Najee Harris and Henry and uh, like, it's a long list of very productive NFL running backs, but like Brian Robinson's the one guy who came in at like 4.9 yards per carry for freaking Alabama. And like, is he even any good? He, he had a lot of work there. The coaches obviously trusted him. That matters. Um, but it was not a particularly impressive collegiate season, all things considered. And why this guy has to take over like a super valuable role in this offense is just it's annoying, uh, to say the least. Yeah, I just think you don't have to be that high on Robinson as a player to believe that he's going to be a huge thorn in Gibson's side. Um, bottom line, Antonio Gibson, I've got him projected for six percent of the team targets, which might be too high. I've got J.D. McKissick at like 10 percent. And, you know, I've. Gibson's career touchdown rate, because I expect Robinson to take that, is at 4.2%. I've banged him down to like 3.5% rushing touchdown rate, which all that equals out to Antonio Gibson is nowhere close in projections to his RB19 ADP. I'm not outright against taking him because injury chaos, like if one of these two guys gets hurt, he could get one of those rolls back, but it's just, it's going to have to be way below his ADP right now for me to take him. And that's, that's kind of that on that. Yeah, I hate to, I just hate to, I know I've mentioned this a thousand times, but I hate to see this guy like pay the penalty for playing through a broken leg last year like that. I get that everybody yeah. was disappointed with him. I, I understand the team was apparently disappointed with him. He gave you 16 games and he played like half of them on a broken leg like that. I, that just floors me. That is super impressive to me. Yep, I remember it very, uh, very clearly because he was on all of my fantasy teams last year. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note. 
that's going to do it for us. I will not allow myself to talk about the or force Andy to talk about the Washington Commanders any long and my weird fascination with so many guys on this team. I actually went through that entire section without saying the words Lynchburg, Virginia's finest Logan Thomas or <laughs> the, the ODU's finest Taylor Heineke. But here I've done it. So, my God, let's get the hell out of here. That's going to do it for us. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andy Barons. You can follow me at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, for God's sakes, please make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. I'll be back bright and early on Monday morning with the great Scott Pianowski to preview everyone's favorite team. <laughs> A team that is wide receiver true. You don't got to squint at it to think they're good. The Cincinnati Bengals. Until then, we're out.